It's Monday, June 22nd. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today, my favorite financial columnist, the one and only Morgan Housel. Happy Monday. Happy Monday to you. Good weekend. Happy Father's Day to you. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you. It was a it was a very nice Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to you, even though you're not technically a father. I, in theory, I'm a father. You're on your way. That's right. You're another few months away that's from right. your life changing completely. That's, that, that's that's what people tell me. Usually, with a sense of uh, dread and pity, it seems like wish your sleep goodbye. Is I hear? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the first the first couple of years. Well, I, I don't care how good your your baby is at sleeping. The first couple of years are just here's the thing. See, I've heard the first couple of weeks. You're saying the first couple of years. Oh, it's the first couple of years. Okay, good. Um, and we'll get to the actual topics of the podcast in a second. But here's the mistake that I, I find. I don't want to say rookie fathers because they're not quite there yet. But but impending fathers, the rookie mistake they make is, well, you know. Um, when I was in college, I you know I only needed like four or five hours of sleep, and it's like, well, that's great. That was also in college, so kiss that goodbye. But the problem is, if you've got a newborn baby in your house, it's not you get five hours of sleep consecutively and then you're up. It's you get ninety minutes of sleep and then you're woken up, and then you get maybe another hour and then you're you know it's so. Cross your fingers for a good sleeper. <laughs> this has been an encouraging talk. <laughs> You're surprised you haven't walked out. Uh, I'm surprised if anyone's, I'm gonna go take a nap. Actually. Yeah, if anyone's still listening at this point, they're like, "Get to the news, damn it!" Um, we're going to talk about the news in a second. Certainly, the big story of the day. We're also going to talk about the state of financial journalism and a couple of other notes as well. But like I said, the news of the day. Let me just hit you with the headline because the you know the the big news today is Greece. Yeah. You tell me what you think of when I read you this headline. Uh, it really, the opening uh, sentence of a story I just pulled off of the interwebs. NASDAQ sets intraday high as investors remained optimistic on a deal between Greece and its creditors. Well, I think it's, pr- it's pretty important because the Greece uh, story, the Greece drama, has been playing out for four years now, maybe five years now. This is not a new story. And what's important about that is that whenever you have a big financial panic or crisis or whatever you want to call it, what is really important, the, the question you need to answer is who, who owns the bad assets? In the dot-com bubble, it was mom-and-pop investors who owned the assets. They were the ones who got hit. In 2008, the financial crisis, it was the Wall Street banks that owned the, the bad assets, and they're the ones who got hit. With Greece today, who owns the bad assets are by and large other sovereign nations and the IMF, International Monetary Fund. It's a very different type of default if that's what happens, because the people who own the bad assets have, I think, a lot more flexibility and uh, wiggle room than other people. So, pretty interesting. Four years ago, Greece also came very close to bankruptcy. And who owned a lot of Greece debt at the times were U.S. banks and global banks. Bank of America got down to $6 a share. And there was a rumor that Jefferies, a big investment bank, was going to go bankrupt. And there were all these rumors because that's who owned Greek bonds and that's who stood to get hurt. It's not that case at all anymore. And that's why we sit here this week with the very real possibility that Greek that Greece will default on its debt. And what is the U.S. stock market doing, global stock markets, U.S. bond prices? Nothing. Nothing really of, of note. So I think I hope, and these could be f- 
famous last words, because they always are when you're talking about a financial crisis, that if Greece were to implode, by far the biggest and, and maybe the only significant casualty from that would be Greece itself, rather than spreading globally. So is that why Greece has gotten a nearly endless string of second chances because the creditors own, who the, hold debt. The, own the debt, they're the ones who are like, okay, look, how can we work this out? Right. You know? There's the famous saying in, in banking, if you, own, if you owe the bank a million dollars, that's your problem. If you owe the bank a billion dollars, that's the bank's problem. And that's a lot of what we're dealing with, too. That's why they keep getting second chances, because if Greece were to default on its debt, Who's going to get hurt? Germany, the International Monetary Fund. So those are the people who keep putting in second chances. There's also, it would set the precedent that the euro, in theory, as a theory of a group of countries that work under one umbrella, would be broken. And then you start talking about the question of who's next. Well, that's the thing. Bill Barker and I were talking about this earlier today, and he was talking about Greece getting out. And I said, wait a minute, if Greece leaves the EU, doesn't some other country automatically become number one on the list of of who's next, and then all of a sudden, I mean, I didn't know that. Uh, just to pick one company, uh, one country as an example, I was like, oh well, Portugal. Now, sure. now it's right. Portugal. Right. I think that was really true in the 2008 financial crisis. Of uh, first, it was the first casualty was a subprime lender named American Century. I believe that's the name. Uh, and, and then it was Bear Stearns. And then people start asking the question, who's next? And as soon as people start asking the question, who's next, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because investors stop buying that company's bonds and whatnot. So it was American Century, and then Bear Stearns, and then Fannie and Freddie, and then Lehman Brothers, and then AIG. It just kept snowballing at, down and down. And a lot of that was just because people were asking, who's next? So it really becomes a self-fulfilling catastrophe. Let's move on to the state of financial journalism, because this is something that you and I noticed uh, for for related but different reasons. Uh, My reason for noticing the news about the Wall Street Journal cutting jobs is because the news business is interesting to me, and so some of the websites that I go to are news sites that track the media, various media businesses. Uh, This was brought to your attention because when you're not working here at The Motley Fool, you're writing a column for The Wall Street Journal. Yeah. Um, uh, and as of this moment, you're still writing a column for The Wall Street Journal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but where are we now with financial journalism? Because for those who don't really pay attention to this type of thing, if you step back and look at it from the standpoint of an investor, the Wall Street Journal is owned by News Corp. News yep. Corp is, on the whole, a nicely profitable company. Yeah, and so you can look at that and say, well, they can afford. You know, even if you're not going to break out the revenues and and profitability or lack thereof of the Wall Street Journal, which is truly one of the great flagship news organizations, not only in the United States but around the world. Even if it's unprofitable, they can afford it. Yeah, and yet. What we see, not just at the Wall Street Journal, which is part of a public company, but we also we've seen this at Bloomberg recently, which is a private company. Again, on the whole, very profitable, but uh, looking to cut jobs here and there. Where are we now? Well, you know, I think the the economics of journalism is very different from the value of good content. Those things are ten miles apart. 
there aren't a lot of industries, I don't think, in which that is the case, where the, the clear value of the product is way different from the economics of the business. I think the only other comparable industry uh, that's in the early stages right now um, is music. And music, very much like, like newspapers, had a good multi-decade run of just being a cash cow. You sold uh, a, an album for $25, a collection of songs, and that was just a, a cash cow for the industry. They made billions and billions of For the industry, not necessarily the artist. <laughs> for some of them. Not everyone. Yeah. But, uh, and, and then that changed over the last 15 years. It started moving into digital, and then singles, and now streaming. And I think the music industry... Uh, is in a is in a state of kind of panic and confusion right now, not knowing how to bridge that gap between 15 years ago we made X and this year we're going to make a third of X and how do we deal with that? And I think the initial response in any industry that does that is uh, is just pure denial. And I think the newspaper industry was in that for a long time. That for decades or even centuries, the newspaper. Uh, had a very good business model, especially if you were a large newspaper. It was it was a great business to be in. And back in the 80s and 90s, the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, those were excellent businesses. They made a ton of money. And then things changed very quickly, and I think there was a lot of apprehension to the change. And things didn't change as much uh, as they should have within the business. And I think there's a lot of clinging to an old business model that says we're going to hide, we need, we're going to employ this many people in this capacity that does not face the reality of where the industry is today in terms of revenue. You and I were talking earlier, too. Some of the best content out there, especially when we're talking uh, about investing content, comes from people who do not even work for a publication, who have never worked for a publication. Some of my favorite investment writers are just part-time bloggers. And in their day job, they are portfolio managers or professional investors, but they write a blog that is just as informative, if not substantially more, than a lot of the content I see in professional newspapers. Newspapers that spend tens or hundreds of millions of dollars to generate content. And it's it's a very different industry today than it was not that long ago. And wh- where's it going to go next? I, I think it's just going to be more shakeouts and more consolidations. And that's what we're seeing uh, with the Wall Street Journal this week. Who are a couple of people, for anyone listening who's thinking, okay, I- I'm interested in good investing content, who are a couple of people that they should look for, whether it's on Twitter, which I find to be an easy way to follow people, but not yeah. everyone's on Twitter. So give me a couple of names. So I give you three. One is a guy named Ben Carlson. It's a really good guy. He writes a blog called A Wealth of Common Sense.com. He actually has a new book that's out today too. Uh, I didn't mean to plug that, but I just did. It's a, it's a great it's a great book. Actually. You're getting a cut. That's fine. <laughs> right? That's fine. It's, it's a great book. He Ben Carlson is really interesting. He's a portfolio manager for an endowment fund. He started blogging a year and a half or two years ago, and pretty much overnight shot straight to the top. And most people familiar with the uh, the financial blogging universe will tell he's he's one of the top five financial writers out there. And he came out of the middle of nowhere. So Ben Carlson, a wealth of common sense. One is a guy named Michael Batnick who is the director of research for Barry Ritholtz's uh, uh, financial planning firm. Uh, and he, too, is someone that just kind of came out of nowhere two or three years ago, but writes a really good blog. What's uh, the last name? Michael Batnick, B-A-T-N-I-C-K. Uh, and the third is uh, a good friend of mine, Patrick O'Shaughnessy. Uh, his dad, Jim O'Shaughnessy, has been a famous investor for, for decades. Uh, and, and Patrick... Uh, started blogging too a couple of years ago and just write some really good, fascinating stuff looking at historical data and talking about investor 
behavior and biases. So those are three people who, all three of those people have never worked for a publication and write some of, some of the best, if not the best, financial content that I think is out there these days. And when I look at that and you, you look at what they're doing compared with how much money the large publications spend to generate content, it's tough. It's a really tough business. It would be like if someone in their garage made a car that was just as good, if not better, than what General Motors could make. That would hurt General Motors. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, and and particularly for younger listeners who didn't really grow up reading a newspaper or didn't pay all that much, or certainly don't get any of their information from news, traditional newspapers right now, one of the things I should point out is that just like we talk about businesses that have maybe not a golden egg, but some steady stream of revenue in the same way that Google, for all the things that Google does and gets attention for driverless cars, Google Glasses, they've got search. Yeah. That's 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 driving the, the money, right. financial engine there. Yeah. Uh, for Costco, it's the membership fees. Yeah. For newspapers, it was classified ads, mm-hmm. which was just this steady stream of money right. coming along before the internet. When we were out in Seattle, uh, Tom Gardner, uh, I think this was at one of the receptions, was was telling a couple of people a story about years ago, and by years ago I mean 15 to 20 years ago, Tom and David Gardner would go to be keynote speakers at an all-day investing event that the Los Angeles Times would have, or the Minneapolis Star Tribune, or you know, major newspapers would have these investing conferences. And at one of them, and I, I don't remember which newspaper, I want to say it was the, the Star Tribune, but at one of them, afterwards, uh, one of the uh, organizers said, hey, could you come talk to a few of our editors just sort of in this back room? We're just, you know, just like to meet you and chat a little bit. And basically, the editors were saying, okay, you're someone who's young and has a unique view of the world of business. What do you think about our industry? How much trouble are we in? And Tom very diplomatically said, you're in a lot of trouble mm-hmm. because you're depending on classified ads. And there's this company called eBay that is just going to eat your lunch. They're going to take all your business when it comes to classified ads. Or Craigslist. Now. And Craigslist came along afterwards. But between the two of them, that, that just dealt a death blow to the newspaper industry. And then on top of that, just the, the rates that they get for a full-page ad or a half-page ad in the newspaper have, have plunged over the years, because there's a lot more competition from online, obviously. Uh, one housekeeping note before we get to our final topic, and that is, I'm happy to say that, once again, Market Foolery has been nominated for a podcasting award. In this case, it is the Academy of Podcasters Awards, uh, which is presented by Stitcher. So, a lot of people listen on iTunes. A lot of people listen on Stitcher. Uh, so, I'd like to formally thank the, the good people of Stitcher uh, for having this event. It's July thirty first. We are one. Uh, Market Foolery is one of ten finalists in the business category. And what's interesting about this? Podcast award is that unlike previous ones where we've been nominated and people got to vote, and it was great. We would get emails from people saying, Oh, I voted for you guys, and, and that's that's wonderful, and we obviously greatly appreciate that. This is going to be judged, which, uh, you know, which I find pretty interesting, and, and uh, you know, just like the previous ones, I'm sure we're not going to win. I'm sure it'll go to Planet Money, but that's fine. But what, what, what presented a little bit of a challenge to me personally was. They, 
asked for a five-minute clip. They said, look, send us a five-minute clip, because we're not going to make our judges sit through an entire episode of Market Foolery, much less multiple episodes. So they would have enjoyed it if they did. I, you know, you hope so. But it, you know, I think that's a, a nice move on the. <laughs> they're doing something nice for the judges. So we had to pick a, a five minute clip, and uh, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. But some people don't know too. All the judges come from FIFA. All the <laughs> so from FIFA? No, that's not true. <laughs> well, if you know, if, if FIFA's involved, then maybe we can grease some pies. Right, so, right, but anyway, right. but uh, but it's, it's thank you to Stitcher and thank you to everyone who listens because well it's, deserved. Uh, uh, it's uh, it's because of sort of the the long tracker track record we've had at Market Foolery and also just the uh, the good reviews that we get on Stitcher, iTunes, and other places. So thank you very much for that. Um, as we start at the top, Father's Day was yesterday. Um, on the radio show on Friday, we went around the table and talked about good advice we had gotten from our dads, whether it's about money or life itself. What's some good advice you've gotten from your dad, whether yeah. it's about money or anything else? I, I tweeted this yesterday. My, my dad's uh, simple advice over the years was, uh, don't eat crap, get some exercise, and live below your means. And if you do that, you'll eliminate 90% of the problems people find themselves in. Is is your was your dad an athlete when he was younger? Was he because you, you were certainly athletic when you were younger? No. Not that you're old now, but no, no he's he just always an athlete. No, he, well, he, he's, he's he's always been very active, but he was never a competitive athlete. Um, I got to pull up a couple of email we got because we also asked people like, hey, go ahead and go ahead and send us an email, radio at fool dot com. What's the best advice you got from your dad? Um, from Jeff Corcoran in King of Prussia, Pennsylvania, sent an email, his best father's advice, and he put in quotes, you should date the new girl next door. 40 years and three kids later, I'd have to say that worked all that worked out all right, although I was already plotting my strategy anyway, which is, you know, which is fantastic. Um, and another one. Uh, I think there's probably some correlation causation there. I don't know if you should always date the girl next door. I don't know if that's blanket advice. I don't think that's blanket <laughs> advice. I think that worked out well for Jeff, right. and certainly there are probably other people that has worked out for. Um, we also got an email from Carol in Honolulu. You asked, what's the best advice you ever got from your dad? My father's best advice to me, his only daughter, was, quote, always urinate after sex. He's a doctor. Let's just end it there. Let's, let's just end there, because <laughs> nothing is going to top that. Uh, certainly not uh, rehashing what's going on with financial journalism. Morgan Housel, thanks for being here. Thanks, Chris. You can follow Morgan Housel on Twitter, and he won't say it, but I'll say it. He's also on the list of the best people writing about money and investing uh, who have not worked full-time for a newspaper. As always, people on the program may have interests in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Ann Henry. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>